Hello and welcome. I'm Gary Scheib. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. Well, it is Seafair Weekend again, and we welcome back to the show David Williams, the Executive Director of the Hydroplane and Raceboat Museum in Kent, to talk hydroplanes and Seattle Seafair history with us today. Uh, David is also an author, so you should look for the number of books he's written on hydroplaning and people in hydroplanes, most recently Myra Slovak. So anyway, David, welcome. Thanks for coming here on Seafair Sunday. Well, Gary, it's great to be here. I always look forward to our little time together. Yeah, I I do too. And who doesn't who loves Seattle and loves the history of Seafair? And for those who don't know enough about Seattle and Seafair and what this little party on the lake is, it's actually months long now, but it culminates here on, on, on the first weekend in August. Seafair uh, is uh, advertising this year is entering its 70th year as its annual summertime festival. So that gives us a chance to combine, you know, the history of Seattle's Seafair and the work of preserving history like you guys do at the museum. Uh, give us, uh, I guess I want to go two ways, but first the primer on the museum. It is in Kent, right? It's a museum sure. of boats. It's a not a static museum of <laughs> pictures on a wall. Sure. The the Hydroplane Museum is located in Kent, and people ask, well, why Kent? There's not much water there. It's, <laughs> it's where I can afford a big enough building to put all these great big boats in. Uh, all of our boats have been restored to running condition. In fact, uh, later this afternoon, uh, on Sea for Sunday, we'll have four boats out there on Lake Washington that have been restored. All of them uh, are Gold Cup winners from the past, and it's a it's a Our philosophy was just restoring the boats and putting them on tilt and putting them on display was good, but not good enough. We wanted to run the boats so we could remind people really why they captured such a big part of Seattle's heart. And so before we go into more into the hydroplanes that you guys do down there and the history of them, Seafair was, I guess, when 1949 or something that they wanted to celebrate, actually in the works building up to that, they wanted to celebrate the centennial, right, of Seattle? Uh, yeah. The Seafair really, it, it depends how far back you want to go. Um, it, it has a, a lot of its roots in the old AYPE, the 1909 Alaska-Yukon Pacific Exhibition. Uh, a lot of the things that we see at Seafair, a torchlight parade, a boat race, um, those all started with the AYPE. Uh, that turned into the Golden Potlatch in the teens. Then that got canceled um, and was reborn in 1950 as a, when they were trying to celebrate the centennial of the city. They were looking for a, um, a kind of a marquee event, a big celebration to end it with. And in 1950, a boat called the Slow Motion from Seattle went back to Detroit and won the Gold Cup. The neat thing about the Gold Cup is that the winning boat got to defend it on its home waters. So Stan Sayers and the slow-mo came back to Seattle in 1951 saying, hey, we have to put on this big race. And someone got the great idea of combining the big race with the Seafair Festival, and we've had it that way ever since. And so that 1951 was the first Seafair boat race in That's Seattle. That's correct, yes. So Seafair was kind of stretching its legs in the first year that there was a hydroplane race, 1951, the slow motion four, and so there's numbers on these slow <laughs> <Yes>. motions, right? <laughs> the slow motion four was that dominant boat that a local guy here decided to have built, uh, Stan Sayers and right, Lou Fagel and uh, Anchor Jensen, the designer, the builder, the driver, right, the owner. They they had this idea, we're going to take over boat racing for some reason. It was always back east. Well, yeah, uh, boat racing was pretty well anchored 
east of the Mississippi. The the two big hotbeds were Detroit and upstate New York, and the Gold Cup went back and forth between those uh, those yacht clubs for a number of year number of years. And uh, when Stan Sayers went back and won it in 1950, he was the first boat west of the Mississippi to have won the Gold Cup. And then, uh, as I said, he brought it out here in 51, and we've had it ever since. Not the Gold Cup, but we've had hydroplane racing ever since. Yeah, and it really did take Seattle by storm. All of a sudden, everybody had something, not just Seafair to celebrate, but they loved <laughs> unlimited hydroplane racing on Lake Washington. It's still in the same part of the lake, right? Sure. I mean, it's barely moved a little bit. They used to have long three-mile courses, right? Now we have a two-mile course. Yeah, what was really attractive to the people of Seattle back in the 50s is Seattle had two major industries. Sort of like right now, we've got... Uh, Microsoft and Starbucks maybe is major industries. Okay. At that time in 1950, we had uh, Boeing, which was airplanes, and we had the fishing industry, which is boats. So you take boats and airplanes and you combine them together, you come up with hydroplanes. And it just sort of hit the city's psyche right. Um, we didn't have uh, any professional major league sports at the time. Uh, no Seahawks, no Sounders, uh, no Sonics. Um, and, uh, I don't even know if there was a Pacific Coast League baseball there, team. There probably was the, the Rainiers. Okay, the Seattle Rainiers played at Six Stadium, but it was the big thing in the summertime. People used to tell me when they were kids, the two things they looked forward to in the whole year well was Christmas vacation and and Christmas morning, and then summer vacation and Seafair Sunday. Those are the <laughs> two big things that uh, we kids all looked forward to. Well, we're going to take a trip through uh, history here since we're doing like 70 years. So those first couple of years, the slow motion and some Seattle boats dominated. Let's move 10 years forward to like uh, 60 years ago, 1959. So the late 50s, things started changing. Was this still the golden age of that first era of uh, post-World War II hydroplaning? Or was it just starting to change? Well, there were some changes going on. Um, and uh, they didn't really rear their head uh, for a couple more years. But what was happening in 1959 is the sport was in the middle of a transition. Uh, in the, f- the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, the sport had been dominated by, uh, by millionaires, by guys that, that had a lot of money and just liked to play with boats. And in, in that 50, well, we'll go a year early, in the 58 Gold Cup, you had people like Edgar Kaiser, Kaiser Aluminum, you had people like Bill Boeing. You had Sam DuPont. Um, you had a lot of... Uh, so these days, you say millionaires, but these days those would be the billionaires, yes. right, of yes, today. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but right at that time, right in the 50s, 58, 59, we were beginning to transition to sponsored boats, and it was becoming a form of motorsports marketing. And the, the boat that really led that charge was the Miss Bartle. Um, in fact... When Stan Sayers was running his slow-mos in the 1950s, he attempted to claim all of his business expenses, all of his expenses in running the boat as business expenses. And the IRS looked at that and said, yeah, no, that's a hobby. So expenses on your hobby, income, so he had to pay taxes on that. <laughs> in 1958, Ole Bartle uh, tried to do the same thing. He tried to claim his expenses in running the Miss Bartle as a business expense. And the IRS said, no, we've already settled that. Well, Ole was from Ballard and kind of stubborn, and Ole sued the IRS. Um, and Ole had taken the effort to track all of his sales across the country in Buffalo and Detroit and Seattle and wherever he raced and could show that his racing had a dramatic impact on his sales. That uh, lawsuit with the IRS wasn't settled until 1963, but when it was, it was settled in favor of 
Ole Bardal, and it um, it's the case precedent that allows motorsports to be considered a form of, of, of marketing. So all of motorsports all took of motorsports. hold of that yes. lawsuit then. Wow. Yes. Ground setting, breaking stuff there from Ole Bardal here in Ballard, Washington. Absolutely. That's pretty cool. So another boat that, that kind of year, the late 50s, uh, was a sponsored of a the grocery store Thriftway, which has gone away, but there was a... Oh, there's a, still Thriftways. There are, I, yeah, I know, but there used to be every corner had a... Every grocery it, store in every town was a Thriftway, but those it, are only And few. I'm going to ask you a trivia question. Uh-oh. You know the U number of the Thriftway? The, it was the U60. Do you want to guess how many Thriftway stores there were? When oh, the, <laughs> were there 60? There were 60 okay, Thriftway good. stores when that boat came out. So That's why that was a, a privately owned, you know, a business sure. operate. And that was a pretty dominant boat for several years right around then, the end of the 50s, start of the 60s, right? Because when it, the sea, um, the World's Fair in Seattle in 62... He, he decided to rename his boat um, the Century 21 because that's what they were calling the World's Fair here. Absolutely. Yeah, the Thriftway team was a real, real dominant team. From about 1956 to about 1963, they won a bunch of races. Well, let's jump ahead now uh, 10 more years, 1969. You know, So if we think, you know, this summer, we've been talking about landing on the moon. That was 50 years ago, uh, 1969, uh, Vietnam. Young people all of a sudden had a voice. The Beatles, of course, the Stones, Bonnie and Clyde, where the movies, <laughs> 2001 A Space. It was a big turnover in culture. Yeah, it's a cultural okay, shift. So what yeah. happened in boats, boat racing, drivers, I don't know, owners? Was that all different all of a sudden? It, from the? If we look back just 10 years, from 69 to 59, was it that big a change like society had done? There there really was a big change, and, and the change reflected a couple things. One, culture itself was changing, and if you if you were at Seafair in 69, you saw that beautiful yellow and black checkerboard Bartol. Bartol's uh, still there. Uh, Bartol was still there, but they were running a checkerboard boat, which people thought was just yeah, you know, mind-blowing. Well, they c- called it the, the Checkerboard Comet the checkerboard was its Comet. nickname, right? Yeah. Um, the boats had become, uh, the dominant boats in 69 were, were wider, um, low-profile, but there were newer boats that had come out that were just sort of experimental. They had something called a pickle fork, where the, the bow of the boat was cut back. Um, that pickle fork design won a few races in 69, but went on from then on and has dominated the sport, and we still run pickle fork boats today. And that design um, was a safety feature because in the years, uh, the sport had, had been really lucky. And uh, we had lots of racers and good racing and spectacular accidents, but really nobody being terribly seriously hurt. Then uh, in 66, 67, and 68, we lost a number of drivers. And in that period of time, we lost six drivers. I remember that as a child that thought, oh, no, hydroplane uh, racing sounds pretty bad. And uh, so in 69, there were a lot of boats, a lot of boat teams attempting to find something safer. Mm -hmm. Um, And... They did, but not safe enough, and it wasn't really until, to, to jump ahead, it wasn't really until the mid-'80s that we started using canopies and seat belts and became really safe. But a lot of these design innovations, the, the pickle fork and the cab-over design, and those were all intended to make the boat safer. So if, if I stick with 1969 and that pickle fork, so sure. I'm trying to remember, was it Dean Chenin with a guy who's dominated along. Did he win Seafair that year in a, a boat called, a, was it the Smirnoff or something well, like that? Well, no. The guy that won Seafair in 1969, uh, that was the Miss Budweiser, Bill Starrett and oh. the Miss Budweiser. Um, 
I believe. Let me let me go back and yeah. make sure I'm getting you that right. Pick the now. old museum curator, uh, uh, executive director's brain here. But but anyway, so but that Smirnoff yeah, but, was about that same well, year, wasn't it? Smirnoff came out in '68, um, and it was converted to a. Um, it, it it was sort of big and ungangling. It didn't really run very well. They made some big changes to it in '69. Um, and you're right, Dean Chenoweth did drive it in 69, and he won a couple of races. Um, he won uh, the Governor's Cup, and he also won in Tri-Cities. But the boat that won in Seattle was the Carrollson Budweiser with, with Bill Sterrett in it. But that was, um, well, that boat dominated here for a couple of years. Um, that Budweiser, so Bill Sterrett, he he was pretty good. He dominated for a while. A couple of Bernie Little's driver, Miss Budweiser. Well, he was smart enough to retire after that yeah. season, <laughs> and then he was replaced by Dean Chenoweth the following year. Is one of that? Is that the boat that you have? A several Budweisers in the museum. Is that, that one of them? That is one of them, and that's one that uh, actually uh, next week we have our our museum gala, and we're trying to raise money to restore that Budweiser. Oh, wonderful! So that'll be on August tenth at uh, August tenth, the Hyatt Hotel. Tickets available. Uh, check the uh, website or the Facebook page. Yeah, well, while we're mentioning we're taking a break here, yeah, let's talk about that. We're talking to David Williams. He's the executive director of the uh, Hydroplane and Race Boat Museum in Kent, um, just off I-5 at South 188th Street exit. But uh, online and Facebook, like you said, online, thunderboats.org, and the Facebook page, which is really neat to watch when you get, when it's a race weekend like this weekend or in Tri-Cities or actually you guys go a lot of places facebook.com slash thunderboats to watch uh, uh, updates uh, sometimes hourly uh, when you guys are out and about um, but yeah you do a fundraiser it's a nice gala and people talk about the old days and like we're doing here today but you also I don't know, induct people into a, like a little we, honor we, ring or something Ed we, Carlson you we, just mentioned him as a right. designer talk about him I guess uh, well, we will be inducting Ed Carrollson into the Hall of Fame on Thursday, August 10th. And, and Gary, you're welcome to come. <laughs> um, and uh, Ed actually, he passed away in December. And he was a very good friend of mine, almost my mentor. Uh, I worked, that's who taught me how to build boats. Ed was amazingly successful in a number of different classes. Just from the Unlimited class, his boats won the Gold Cup um, or National Championship and sometimes both in 67, 68, 69, 70, 71. So for five years, he just dominated the sport, and he built boats called the Exide and the Bardall and the Budweiser and the Notre Dame. A lot of those boats we remember as kids um, were were Ed Carrollson designs. Wow. But, but he built boats in other classes, too. He built a lot of amazing limiteds. Um, he, he built hundreds and hundreds of outboards. That's really where his heart was, was in the outboard class of racing. So we will be inducting Ed uh, at the Hyatt Hotel on uh, Saturday, August 10th. Yeah, that, that's going to be fun. Um, I, I want to keep jumping through sure. history here because, like I said, 70 years of seafare, that's a lot, a lot of years to talk about. If we go up to 1979, then mm-hmm. we're talking those changes about safety and stuff sure. had really started, especially the look of the boats. Almost all of them were uh, cab overs, uh-huh. um, the deep pickle forks. Some of them had us, almost all of them had a rear stabilizer wing, right? And, and those boats from... The, the late 70s, or the boats we're running uh, today at, this, at, at Lake Washington, we'll be running the 1977 Atlas Van Lines, which raced through, uh, actually 1981, it raced for four years, but it was uh, a dominant boat in, in 79. We're also running the, the 1980 Griffin Budweiser, and we're running the Pay and Pack, 
and we're running the 82 Atlas. All of them are, are deep pickle fork, um, Rolls-Royce-powered cabovers with a high wing, um, and, and they're pretty exciting boats. They are a lot faster than the old round nose boats. Regrettably, they're not much safer. Um, in fact, I just, I just sort of realized coming over for the, the interview that uh, the boat that I drove last weekend in, in Tri-Cities, which was Bill Muncy's Atlas Van Lines, was a boat that Bill was killed in in 1981. The boat I'm driving today, uh, the 1980 Budweiser, is the boat that Dean was killed in in 1982. So um, that's pretty sobering when you sit down and you, you think of the two biggest names in the sports yeah. were killed back-to-back seasons in the two boats that I'm spending the summer okay, driving. Well, drive carefully, I w- please. I will. Um, <laughs> so 79 Seafair, uh, Bill Muncy, again, this guy was dominating in that Atlas Van Lines in the late 70s. A, a young guy, though, named Chip Hanauer was on the scene already. He was the future at that point. He was one of those young guns, they used to say. Who won the 79? Did Bill Muncy again win that yeah. 79 Seafair? Yeah, Muncy won the 79 Seafair, and if I'm not mistaken, that was the last Seafair he ever won uh, because he uh, he was killed on in Acapulco, Mexico in 81. And then that Griffin Budweiser you're talking about, when it came on the scene, it started to dominate the next year or two. It, it did. It was a totally dominant boat in 80 and 81. Um, and, uh, and these were still um, the Rolls-Royce... A fighter plane and a bomber plane from World sure. War II engines, right? And not the turbines. Yeah, no, we we didn't really. Uh, in in 1980, the Payimpact came out and tested a turbine. Um, we didn't get a winning turbine until 1982. So yeah, when you're talking about 7980, it's still the the Rolls Royce powered. Uh, there are two uh, types of Rolls Royce engines that we use in the sport. One is the Rolls Royce Merlin, and the other is the Rolls Royce Griffin. And the other airplane engine from the the 40s, the war, was the Allison. That, so those are like V-12s, right? They're V-12s. I mean, they're... to talk about displacement versus a big V-8 car, and we think a big V-8 car, if you've got a 427 cubic yeah. inch, that's a big engine. Well, I, at, at the museum, we have a number of boats on display, and we get visitors in from all across the country. And I had some folks that came up from Gunnersville, Alabama, who were big NASCAR fans. They went to Talladega every year. Um, and, and the NASCAR engines are about 350 cubic inches. And I had the Griffin Budweiser engine out of the boat uh, so we could look at it. And that's 2,240 cubic inches. <laughs> um, cubic inches, not cubic centimeters like they say. Cubic on inches. <laughs> it is, I, I politely explained to them that it was the eight times the size of a NASCAR engine. Wow. And in fact, that engine that I was showing them had as much displacement as the first four rows at Talladega. And that impressed them. That, no kidding. Wow. Uh, the Hydroplane Erase Bit Museum is a really fun place to see. So uh, let me take a sidetrack here sure. because going to that museum is so cool for adults that remember. But like um, school kids end up having to go on field trips to, you know, museums and they look at things on the wall and they look at statues and stuff. Do you get s- elementary school we, kids? We and- do. Last week I had 107 uh Elementary kids come through between the ages of six and eleven, and uh, so that must was, be different to go into that kind of museum where you can rub your hand on the deck of the Miss Wahoo, uh, yeah. and versus uh, looking at you know a picture on the wall of you know some. <laughs> yeah, if, if with that group there were too many, I couldn't let everybody sit in a boat. But when you you know if a family comes through, if there's you know two or three kids, I'd let them sit in a boat, and um, you know we we make sure that they get very involved. It's very hands-on. 
yeah, Museum. Yeah, it is the, the Unlimited Hydroplane Raceboat Museum. Like I said, online, thunderboats.org, and Facebook is, is a really good place to, facebook.com slash thunderboats. We're talking with David Williams here on Seafair Sunday. Let's jump to 1989. So now, I, I, you know, those early... Uh, Years, like you said, Pay Impact sort of had this, oh, we're going to experiment with this turbine. By 1989, that was what was, was really dominating, right? Every boat that was going to win some races was a turbine. Yeah, the, 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 the old piston engines that were manufactured in the 1940s were finally you know, wearing out, and, and we were running out of them. So we switched to a Lycoming T55 turbine, which is much lighter, much more powerful, and really a much simpler machine to keep running. So in, in 1989, it was the year of Chip Hanauer. Uh, he won in the Circus Circus here. Um, and, and that was a race that uh, the boat was an old backup boat that he brought you know, out of retirement because he'd crashed his primary boat earlier in the, the season. And when he brought this boat out, he kind of called it all the old school bus. <laughs> so uh, He didn't like how it handled. <laughs> it, yeah, he didn't like how it handled, but it was also just kind of, the, it was the, the second boat, it was the stepchild boat. And to, to be able to get it around and win the race, that was really quite quite spectacular. And let me, we're going to run out of time before too long. I want to get to 1990, and we haven't got to this century yet. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe this was a bad idea of me to try and jump through uh, well, 70 years of seafare. You, you uh, should have cut me off earlier. <laughs> uh, what I, I'm trying to remember 1999, because like you said a while ago, now these boats really have settled in. They haven't changed that much since those late 80s, have they? They, they really haven't. The, the boat that won in 1999 uh, was uh, the Miss Budweiser. And it was a, a, a turbine hydroplane that looked very, very similar. And it, it was, I think it was an, a, a deliberate move on the part of the sport that to try and lower costs and make it more competitive, they tried to standardize the design. During the, the period that we'd been talking about before, every three to five years, there was a major revolution in the sport. We went from step hulls to three-point hulls and then from... Um, from automotive-based engines to airplane-based engines and the World War II airplane engines and then introduced nitrous oxide and then then pickle forks and then cab overs and then wings. And, yeah, and there was, yeah, there right, was yeah. an innovation. You're right. That every, was all the time. And But that all cost money because every three or four years you had to throw out all your equipment and buy new stuff. So in the, the early 90s, they attempted to sort of standardize things. So the, the designs we're seeing today, you know, they're very different. In the minutia, the the angles of attack on the skid fins and the center of gravity and and all sorts of things like that are changed, but the overall appearance to a fan they really haven't changed in appearance much since the mid nineties. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if you if we want to jump to nineteen ninety nine and two thousand nine and maybe this year. I mean, because <laughs> uh, they seem like some of the same boats, maybe they, different paint jobs, but a lot of the same owners are in the sport. The city of Madison, Indiana. Well, they just won the Gold Cup this year in Madison, which, you know, I mean, that boat, as Miss Homestreet, had been the Oberto for, I don't know, almost 10 years well, before Well, no, that's that. A, that team had run the Oberto, but that that's a, a oh, new— Oh, the boat itself, a, you're right. That's a brand-new boat that was new last year, so that's the newest I'm, boat see, out there. That's why you're here. I, correct um, me on these things. But but what has happened, yeah, a lot of the boats out there running are are technically much older than, than you think, but— in, in the 40s and 50s, when we built a boat, we built a boat. It was made out of wood, and it was screwed together. And if something happened, you threw that away, and you got a new one. The newer boats are, are much more component-built, where there's 
a left sponson and a right sponson, and there's a canopy, and then there's a bottom, and there's a deck, and all of those parts are cast uh, out of molds and can be replaced. You can take the deck off and put a new deck on. You can take the bottom off and put a new bottom on. So there, there's an old saying among museum guys that, well, you know, the Smithsonian has George Washington's original hatchet that he chopped down the cherry tree with. <laughs> but they've replaced the blade three times and the handle four times. But it's his original axe. Yeah. So uh, that's what these boats are. So that's now. what these boats are. Even though uh, the U-9, or I guess this year it's the U-1 that Andrew Tate is driving, looks like a, it is a brand new boat. But its lineage goes back to the old Coors Light from, you know, from 2000. Ah. So it's it's. it's it's soul. Its spirit is 19 years old, but there's nothing on that boat that's 19 years old. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, I've loved going through history here with you today, Dave. We are out of time, but I'll tell you, folks, where you can get more of this history. It is at the museum. Uh, it is such a great place to spend uh, a few hours. Take your kids down. Take your people from out of town who've heard you talk about going to Seafair all these years. So here's what it's all about. And, uh, and if you're out at the lake today, you guys have a great display, and then you make People come, <laughs> get up out of their seats uh, and rush to the edge of the lake when they hear those, those engines fire up like the good old days. Thank you so much. We've been talking with uh, David Williams, the executive director of the Hydroplane and Race Boot Museum in Kent, um, off of I-5 at the South 188th Street exit. Online, like I said, thunderboats.org, facebook.com slash thunderboats. David, thanks for spending time with us again today uh, talking about seafare and hydroplanes and good old days. Thank you, Gary. It's always a pleasure. I want to say a much bigger thanks from all the hydroplane fans for preserving history and the heritage of boat racing. Enjoy race day. Hey, if you'd like to hear this interview again, it will be available online at Podcast One and Apple Podcasts within a few days. Just search Spotlight with Gary Scheip. I am Gary Scheip. Thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community.